Malachi 3, 7 to 12. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until there is no more need. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. The last time we studied Malachi 3, we were studying verses 7 and 8, and that is a call to repentance or to return to the Lord and the accusation that the people of God were robbing God. And God's answer is in tithes and contributions. They were not repenting of robbery to God. And how did they rob him? They were not giving to him what was due to him through his people, through his ministry. And this is in the typical, in the Malachi fashion, and certain other parts of Scripture. This is known as a disputational format. God makes an accusation. The people complain. The people grumble. And they try to throw off the accusation, deny the accusation. But then God answers them and lets them know exactly where they have sinned. And this is what's happening in our passage as well in reference to robbery in the tithes and contributions. But now in verses 9 to 12, we have a curse pronounced in verse 9. And in verse 11, the curse is assumed. And then in verses 10 and 12, the blessing. So verse 9, the curse, and then the blessing. Well, what is the curse? He says here, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. The consequence of disobedience is the curse of God. The consequence of disobedience is the wrath of God. He punishes the people who disobey him. In our passage, in verses 10 to 12, here he illustrates his curse on the people by giving them drought and by giving them famine, giving them crops uh, eaten and devoured by insects. This is what he has done to them. For example, in verse 11, Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. In this instance, God cursed them by sending insects, devourers, those that ate the crops, those that ruined the crops, so that they were in need. That is the curse. Opposite 
the curse is a challenge or a test for a blessing. In verse 10, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this as the Lord of hosts. God is offering for the people to test him, not to test him in a wrong way, not to test him in a malicious way, not to test him in unbelief, but test him in faith. Test him in confidence that he will indeed bless them if they obey his word. And if they do obey, it says, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until there is no more need. If they obey God, they pass the test, God will bless them. He'll bless them by pouring out for them the windows of heaven and there will be no need. In fact, there will be an abundance. An abundance of such a kind that verse 12, all the nations will call you blessed. The nations of the world will recognize the blessing of God on the nation that obeys him. And they will be known as a delightful land, a fruitful land, a pleasant land, a land that has plenty of milk and honey, crops, herds, and flocks, plenty of food for the people to eat, and not only that, to share with others if they obey the Lord. Other nations will recognize it. This is, in a sense, outsiders, those outside the church, recognizing the blessing of God on the church. And so this is the summary, verses 9 to 12. Either there's a curse or there is a blessing. And it depends on whether we have faith in the Lord and show that faith by our obedience. Remember, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is useless. Faith without works is what the demons have. That's according to James 2, 14 to 26. You are cursed with a curse. When God curses, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, when he curses, the curse has as its premise a spiritual foundation. But the spiritual part of the curse is demonstrated or manifested in physical curses. The physical curse is our way of recognizing that there is a spiritual problem, that there is sin. That's how God has done it, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, when a curse occurs. Let's see a few examples. The first one, we go to the book of Second, or no, First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 10 verses 1 to 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 1. When Moses guided the people, when he led them out of Egypt through the wilderness, and the people, many of them died, and many plagues even came on the people. Plagues came on the Egyptians in Egypt, but even in the wilderness there were lots of problems, lots of sin. Why? Why? because of the spiritual problem. 1 Corinthians 10, 1. 
For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. And do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. It says that God, with most of them, verse 5, most of the people under Moses, God was not well pleased. They were laid low. They died. 600,000 of the men of war died. That whole generation had to die in the wilderness for their evil deeds, verse 6. And their evil deeds are recorded here, not merely so that we might know about them, but for us, it says. Examples for us. God may do that now, verse 6 says. And what were some of their sins? Idolatry, verse 7. Verse 8, immorality. In verse 9, testing or trying the Lord in unbelief, not in faith, but in unbelief, verse 9. Verse 10, they grumbled and were destroyed. These are spiritual defects. These are spiritual sins. And because of the spiritual, there were physical consequences. There was death. There was poisoning by snakes. There was destruction. 1 Corinthians 11, it could happen to us. 1 Corinthians 11, 11, 27. If we approach God in worship in the wrong way at the Lord's Supper, it may happen to us. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. the curse may be on us. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that... 
you may not come together for judgment. And the remaining matters I shall arrange when I come. Some people were weak, some sick, and others were killed by God because they did not worship properly at the Lord's Supper. Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. When God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened to the men of Sodom and Gomorrah? In the book of Genesis chapters 18 and 19, what happened to them? God destroyed them suddenly, instantly, for their sexual immorality. He wiped them out with fire and brimstone from heaven. Fire and sulfur, a kind of rock, from heaven. Rained down from heaven and destroyed them all just like that, instantly. Second Peter 2, 6. Second Peter 2, 6. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. Lot, the man Lot, he was spared because he was righteous. But why is it that God spared that one man, one righteous man, but destroyed all the other men? Because they were ungodly. They were unprincipled. They were lawless. So he destroyed them. He put a curse on them by reducing them to ashes but not Lot. He condemned Sodom and Gomorrah, and he saved Lot. Sodom and Gomorrah was not only destroyed physically, but eternally. Lot was not only spared physically, but spared eternally. Second Peter 3. Second Peter, actually, let's read Second Peter 2, verse 5 first. Second Peter 2, 5. And did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. In the days of Noah, Genesis 6 to 9, why did God destroy the whole world, the billions and billions of people in the world were all killed by God? Babies and old men and everyone between. Why were they all wiped out, destroyed, drowned in the flood of water? It says they were ungodly. But when that happened, was that a symbol of spiritual things? Yes. Noah was found righteous, but the rest of the world was not. They were all wicked. 
So Noah receives eternal life because he had faith in Christ. He preached the righteousness of Christ. Right, right there it says in verse 5, he was a preacher of righteousness. Not his own righteousness, not somebody else's righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. He preached Christ to them. The rest of the world refused to believe in Christ. So they were destroyed. Now, chapter 3. 2 Peter 3, 3 to 7. 2 Peter 3, 3. Why is the flood of Noah recorded in the Bible? 3, 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. That's what the mockers say who mock at God. Now the apostle explains, verse 5, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Noah's flood was an example of a future flood of fire God's going to inflict on the whole world on the day of judgment. When he destroys this current world next time by fire, it symbolizes what? The eternal fire of the lake of fire. The eternal fire, Matthew 25, 41, of the lake of fire, Revelation 21, verse 8. That's what Malachi is teaching also. This doctrine, we used New Testament verses. We use New Testament verses because this doctrine people relegate to only the Old Testament, only the God of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he's patient. In the New Testament, he's kind. In the New Testament, he's loving. In the New Testament, he's gracious. And he won't do things like this in the New Testament. He won't do it in our time, and he won't do it on the Day of Judgment. That's a lie. He will do it. He will certainly do it now and on the Day of Judgment. What was the reason? Malachi 3.9 for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Everybody was doing it. You are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Nobody cared to do what was right with their tithes and contributions. Remember, when in the Ten Commandments it says, you shall not steal, this is one application of you shall not steal. There are many ways people steal. This is one of them. We saw this last time from verse 8. But we might ask the question, if we are robbers, is it right for God to take away what we own, to put a curse on us? Is it right? Yes. 
if we are robbers, no one can blame God if he takes away from us our daily food, our water, our house, our clothes, our health. We can't blame him. It says in the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 32, chapter 32, 32, 23. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. If we don't obey God in whatever it is, we sin against God. We might also sin against somebody else, but most importantly, we sin against God. And God says our sin will find us out. Isn't that what the brothers of Joseph also knew in Genesis 44? 44, 16, the brothers of Joseph, when they were being t- tested about what was going on with their family and the famine and Benjamin, when they were being tested and the potential was there that Benjamin would not ever see his father again because he was being held by Joseph and they didn't know Joseph was holding him and also Simeon. When that was happening, they said, God is finding out our sin. God is, we are being held to account for our sin. What was their sin? They tried to put Joseph to death and then they sold him as a slave and they never saw him again. So now they're wondering if God is repaying them, punishing them. Well, God does do that. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, so it will be done to you. Your dealings will fall on your own head. Obadiah 15. Also, Galatians 6. Galatians 6 and verse 7. New Testament doctrine also, Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Whatever he sows, if he sows sin, as it says in verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Whatever we sow, whatever we plant, if we plant thorns, we'll get a thorn bush. If we plant walnuts, we'll get a walnut tree. If we plant an apple tree, we'll get apples. If we plant poison ivy, we'll get poison ivy. What do we want to plant? What do we want to sow? Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Second Thessalonians 1. When will God ultimately return 
our dealings on our own head. When will he finally do so? When the Lord Jesus returns on the day of judgment. When the Lord Jesus returns. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We read verses 6 to 10. 6 to 10. For after all, it is only just or righteous or judgment, punishment, for God to repay, there's our word, to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. It is righteous for God to repay those who sin against him. It's not unloving retaliation. It is justice. Then, verse 10, Malachi 3.10. He says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. What was the difficulty when there was no food in the house of God? in the temple of God. What was the problem? What was the sin? What was the dilemma that they created when they did not bring the tithe into the storehouse? Let's read in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah 13. 13 verse 10, 13, verse 10. It says, Nehemiah thirteen ten to 14. I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given them so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away each to his own field. So I reprimanded the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And in charge of the storehouses, I appointed Shalemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites. And in addition, to them was Hanan the son of Zakur, the son of Matanya, for they were considered reliable. And it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. In the book of now Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 14, 22. Deuteronomy 14, 22. When tithes and contributions are offered, 
it is not only for the Levites or for the ministers and for the maintenance of the house of God, but it's also for others. And let's notice who those others are. Deuteronomy 14.22 You shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. And you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock, in order that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the distance is so great for you that you are not able to bring the tithe, since the place where the Lord your God chooses to set his name is too far away from you when the Lord your God blesses you, then you shall exchange it for money and bind the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you may spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink or whatever your heart desires. And there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. Also, you shall not neglect the Levite who is in your town, for he has no portion or inheritance among you. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year, and you shall deposit it in your town. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, the orphan, and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. It's not only for the ministers and the house of the Lord, but it's for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. Those who are unable to provide enough for themselves because they have loss of income. It says in Galatians 2.10, They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. If we do not bring tithes and contributions, then we also will not be able to help the poor whenever they have a need. But now a challenge is presented, a test, Malachi 3.10, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Test him. He's called Lord of hosts, we know, many times in the book of Malachi. In our passage, he's called that in verse 7, right here in verse 10, in verse 11, says the Lord of hosts, verse 12, says the Lord of hosts. He is the one who has heavenly and earthly armies that can do his will instantly. So we better be ready, either for the curse or even for the blessing. And so now, the test. The test. First, let's go to the book of First Kings. We have here an example of Elijah the prophet, Elijah the prophet, who himself is tested, and then he has a woman 
being tested in faith. Elijah in faith and the woman in faith. 1 Kings 17. Not in unbelief, but in faith. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kerith, which is east of the Jordan. And it shall be that you shall drink of the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Kerith, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he would drink from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Verses 1 to 7, Elijah is tested to depart from his place to go to this brook and to drink from the brook because a famine was called upon the land. That means he's going to trust God to provide water for him from the brook. God also told him that the ravens are going to bring food for you. And they did. He said it in verse 4, It shall be that you shall drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. The wild birds, the birds of prey, like the vultures, the falcons, the eagles, the ravens, they find food from place to place for themselves. But God commanded them to take what they found, bread and meat, and take it to Elijah. And they did. But Elijah, he had to believe when God said, go over there and those birds, they're going to provide for you for a while the food that I want you to eat. So God is testing Elijah. Elijah, will you believe me? Not only that, but testing Elijah again, as well as this widow, this woman. 1 Kings 17, 8 to 16. Elijah and the woman now need to act in faith, obey in faith. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. But let's notice, did the widow actually hear from God? God says, I have commanded a widow. Just like the ravens. Did the ravens actually hear God speak and say, Thus says the Lord, you ravens, go and provide for my servant, the prophet Elijah? No, they didn't hear it that way. So this is providentially, this is mysteriously, this is supernaturally, God did it. Verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son. 
For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went. She believed. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. This is a New Testament doctrine too. Yes, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. The feeding of the 5,000. John chapter 6, verse 1. 1 to 14. John 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. And a great multitude was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Jesus therefore, lifting up his eyes, and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these may eat. And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus therefore took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. When therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is of a truth the prophet who is to come into the world. The dilemma of the disciples, Philip and Andrew and the others, they just have two fish and five loaves of bread for 5,000 men plus women and children. Verse 10, it says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. That means that at that point, the disciples need to believe and obey what Jesus tells them to see a miracle. Just like Elijah had to obey, the widow of Zarephath had to obey, here the disciples have to obey. God knows what he's doing. When Jesus asked about their food, he, he knew what he was intending to do. One more verse in John, John 7, 17. John 7, 17 says, If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. 
we must be willing to do the will of God. Then we will know that the teaching is from God. And then the abundance. The abundance in Malachi 3.10 is opening the windows of heaven and pouring out a blessing until there is no more need. This phrase, open the windows of heaven. Does that sound familiar? To open the windows of heaven? That is taken from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 7 Verse 11, Genesis seven eleven, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened. The floodgates of the sky were opened. It could also be translated, the windows of the heavens were opened. Genesis 8, verse 2, 8, 2. Also, the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky was restrained. With this use, God is telling them, I have sufficient means to provide for you. I provided plenty of water in the days of Noah to destroy the world, I still can do that with plenty of water or plenty of blessings to supply to you, not to curse you, but to bless you. Because the ark in the water was Noah's blessing. But no ark with the water was the curse of the people. In this case, though, a blessing for the people until they don't have any more need. Verse 11, Malachi 3, 11. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. If this is the same, we have Malachi chapter 2, 1 to 3, where God also said that he would curse them. Malachi 2, verse 1. And now this commandment is for you, O priests, if you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already, because you are not taking it to heart. Behold, I am going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. If in Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, the offspring means their people, their children, who will be taken away after the, the innards, the guts, and the blood of the animals that they killed to eat in their feasts, the part that we, we all throw away or burn up or something, the enemies will take all of those dead bodies and throw the garbage onto the faces of the children. Or, if he means offspring, meaning seed, seed of the field, then that would be the same as Malachi 3, 
verse 11. If God curses the seed of the field, the harvest is no more, then God can reverse it. What he puts on them, he is also able to reverse. We see this to be the case in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28, 38. Deuteronomy 28, 38 to 42. 28, 38. You shall bring out much seed to the field, but you shall gather in little, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant and cultivate vineyards, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall devour them. And this may be the devourer worm in Malachi 3. You shall have olive trees throughout your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall have sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. The cricket shall possess all your trees and the produce of your ground. In this case, it is actually both. It's both the children taken away and humiliated, but also the plants, the crops, destroyed by insects. But what if they obey? What if they obey? Malachi 3.12 All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. The world will recognize that the people are the people of the Lord. When they obey and God blesses them by providing for their needs abundantly, not their luxuries. We're not talking about luxuries. We're talking about food and clothing. With these we shall be content. First Timothy 6.10 Then they will recognize that they are blessed. The nations will recognize that the people of God are blessed and they are a delightful land. Isaiah 61. Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61 verse 9. 61 9. Let's actually start at verse 4, 61, 4 to 9. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations, and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. And strangers will stand and pasture your flocks, and foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. But you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion, and instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery in the burnt offering. 
I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Then their offspring will be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them will recognize them, because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. Isaiah 62, Isaiah 62, 4, Isaiah 62, 4 to 5. It will no longer be said to you, forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said, desolate. But you will be called, my delight is in her. My delight, delightful land, is in her. And your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. One more place, Jeremiah 4, 1 and 2. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 1. Remember, it involves faith and repentance, and it involves faith in Christ. And the evidence of true faith in Christ is obedience, and the people will recognize it, the peoples of the world. 4, verse 1. If you will return, O Israel, declares the Lord, then you should return to me. And if you will put away your detested things from my presence and will not waver, and you will swear as the Lord lives, in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then all the nations will bless themselves in him. And in him they will glory. When they repent and when they speak truthfully in the name of the Lord and practice truth, justice, and righteousness, the nations will believe in Christ. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Same here, Jeremiah 4.2. The nations will bless themselves in him. In whom? In the Lord, the Lord Jesus, and in him they will glory. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. May this be true of us. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.